All right, welcome back. Another another episode here. Very excited to have this guest today. It's Taylor Oxendine with the Central Carolina Realtors Association. The Realtors Association is uh, great supporters for us during the campaign and been great supporters of Columbia as a, a, a city. Very excited to have you here today, Taylor. Thank you. You know, a lot of people don't know that there's a Central Carolina Realtors mm-hmm. Association, and, and probably most people don't know really what does the association do? Yeah. So maybe you could kind of give us a history of the association, mm-hmm. kind of what y'all's mission is, and then let's talk a little bit about your role. Yeah, I think most people know the National Association of Realtors um, and know the word realtor pretty well. Um, I mean, it's it's a national brand, obviously. The National Association of Realtors is the largest um, trade association, not only in the United States, but in the world. Um, we have our state association here in Columbia as well, but um, obviously us locally, we're located here in Columbia, but cover eight counties across the Midlands. I won't name them all, but, you know, obviously Richland County, Lexington County are two of the biggest. Um, and we go all the way down to Orangeburg and up to Fairfield and Newberry. Um, you know, we handle realtor membership. And so what that means is that, you know, anybody can become a licensed real estate agent if they want. Um you know, just get their license through the Real Estate Commission. But in order to be a Realtor, you have to join the National Association of Realtors um, at all three levels, local, state, and national. So um, when somebody gets a real estate license and joins, you know, a company or goes out on their own, um, if their company is a realtor firm, um, they'll join us and um, we'll handle their their um, continuing education, uh, their forms and contracts that they use, Um you know, networking events, um, you know, social events and things like that. But uh, two of the biggest things are the Code of Ethics, um, which is 17 articles that all realtors have to abide by. So that's on top of their state licensing requirements that they have to do. Um, being a realtor means you have to abide by the 17 articles. Monitor um, that? Yeah. So anybody can file a grievance <clears throat> or um, complain against a realtor, and that's the big thing that you've got – on top of the state organization, also a private organization, the Realtor Association, that um, holds realtors accountable um, for their action. Uh, Real Estate Commission gets about, I don't know, anywhere to 300, 600 complaints a month. Um, and, you know, obviously they're covering the entire state. I mean, it's it's crazy. Still seems like a lot. It is, yeah. And, you know, sometimes those are pretty, you know, they're frivolous, but, you know, they still have to investigate everything they get. Um so it, it helps that to know that you can go to the Realtor Association um, and we're broken up. We have, we have 14 in the state. So you have 14 different locations depending on when, where that person's um, based out of to, um, you know, hold them to accountable. Mm-hmm. And that's the process we do. And it's very successful um, mediation too. Um, and then on top of that, and then in addition to that, we have the, um, you know, advocacy that you kind of mentioned in the beginning that we do. Um you know, we're, we're, like I said, we're the largest trade organization in the country, and we're also um, the largest um, advocacy um, or lobbying branch, you want to, whatever you want to call it, in the country as well. Elaborate on the advocacy yeah. part. You sure. Know, what, what y'all are doing, I mean, you got a very large membership, mm-hmm. very important to the community. You're talking about multi-level, state, local, and federal. Mm-hmm. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about where that lies. Sure, yeah. Um so, I mean, at the local level, which is obviously a lot of what I do, um, we, you know, we, we go to uh, 
local, so town and city council meetings and things like that and advocate for um, property rights, home ownership, um, commercial development, um, smart growth, um, you know, and, and, and less regulation or, un, you know, not undue regulation on um, homeowners. So in addition to representing realtor members, um, and at CCRA, we have a membership of a little almost 3,500 members, um, which makes us in the top 100 largest in the country um, out of 900 local associations. Um, we also, the Realtor Association that is, is the only branch that advocates for homeowners. There's no homeowner group that's advocating for them at federal um, or state levels especially. Um, so we, you know, we're the only ones that really represent homeowners' interests at these meetings a lot of the times. Um, so, you know, that's a big responsibility um, for the realtor to not only represent their business and their practice, but also their clients and customers that they that they do things like that. But, you know, um, one of the big things the city is looking at, obviously, is, you know, the tax modernization and um, the 4%, 6% issues with um, non-owner occupied and owner occupied is a big thing that we're looking at just looking at the city of Columbia but last year um, Lexington County had a lot of or they had a moratorium and some open space requirements that they were talking about that we were involved in in that side of the other side of the river so um, you know, but y'all do more thing. than just attend and I mean one of the things that yeah. I saw the Realtors Association get involved in was the Greenville Middle Markets mm-hmm. project oh, yeah. you know uh, and something we've talked about in Columbia and actually got a copy of the report mm-hmm. from you guys and have been reading it. and it's very interesting to see the gaps that we have and why it's important to work with these different agencies and and I think why the relationships need to be strengthened with the associations and and the cities the other shocking thing i found out is through discussions with you guys is how much regulation is costing Mm -hmm. to the building market you know it is affecting the home markets like tremendously and and somebody told me this number and i think it's right it's almost like 22 or 23 percent of all costs in a new home are based all because of regulations Yeah. yeah it's crazy um yeah, I mean, you hear things about like impact fees that um, different ca- uh, towns and counties are putting on property. That's an additional um, cost added as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, a, a misnomer for a lot of people that rent is that, you know, they're avoiding having to pay property taxes and, and these other fees that homeowners have to pay. And they don't realize that that's included in their rent when they're when they're paying. Um so that's stuff we try to educate people on. But you brought up the Greenville report, and that's something that here in Columbia we're also looking to do um, to examine, you know, you know what how zoning has affected um, housing in our area. Um, and from that report from Greenville, I mean, one thing that was big about that is that. Um, you know, I think everybody knows we kind of have a lack of inventory, not only here in South Carolina, but nationwide. Um, we just don't have very many options for families looking for a home, especially new homeowners, um, multiplex, duplex, condos, townhomes, things like that. You know, a lot of the newer builds that you see a lot of time are just kind of single family homes, which is great. But that, but more options in the, mar- uh, in the market, which the Greenville report talked about, um, would help that. You know, right now, during the pandemic, we had 
not only millennials entering the market, but you had a lot of out of state and institutional buyers coming into South Carolina, buying up properties. And that's why we had such an insane past two, three years in real estate. You know, uh, the average age for a first time home buyer is 33 years old. The biggest chunk of millennials hasn't even gotten to that age yet. So we are going to see you know, the demand for homes to continue to increase pretty dramatically just from that group, not even talking about out-of-state buyers or institutional buyers. Which brings up kind of a segue. One of the numbers that I saw out there and I've read several times now that between baby boomers sizing down, single mothers, and millennials – 85% of all the housing needs over the next decade are going to be focused on folks who are looking for smaller or downsized units Yeah, because they're no children. They're not going to have children. Yeah. And basically everybody's looking for the same type of house. Um, the biggest, the largest groups in the market right now. Um, and I, I can't remember if you said this or not, but also, um, you have, baby boomers that are starting to enter retirement age. They don't want to take care of a lawn. They don't want to, you know, they don't need to work anymore. They want to be close to the restaurants, um, entertainment, nightlife, and things like that. They're, they're looking for the same type of home that first-time home buying millennials are looking for. And those are, you know, in the city, kind of um, close to everything. I don't need to drive. I don't need to um, – I can walk to everything type of homes. And, you know, that's one of the things the study from – Greenville mentioned that's one thing that the tax modernization committee at City Columbia was talking about, and that and that's why um, home affordability is such a big issue because that's the house that everybody's looking for, um, and that's just not what we have a lot of options for right now. And that's, not in town, yeah, not in town, and that's what um, you know, offering more multiplex, duplex, and townhomes and things like that that would help you know alleviate that problem. But of course, you know that's not everybody's favorite type of housing for you know current homeowners um well we've we've programmed people that single family homes are the only option that we should have in neighborhoods and the reality is if you look at post-war war ii and other eras on up that wasn't the model you Mm -hmm. had multi-family homes you had more townhomes you had people who had quadruplexes or duplexes that they ended up renting one half you know, that helped them to pay theirs. It was a wealth generator. And, you know, over the years we've zoned some of that stuff out or, you know, I don't think by intention thinking that you're having more homeowners, but you really have limited and hurt people in their ability to create wealth Mm -hmm. and opportunity. So you talked about out of state buyers, you Mm -hmm. talked about millennials, what else have you seen in the housing market that that's changed over the last five years? What to you know? Obviously, regulation was one we talked yeah. about as well. Biggest thing is inventory. Um, after two thousand eight, um, you know, kind of realized that there wasn't the demand for the amount of housing that was being built at the time, and that's kind of one thing that contributed to the big crash there. Since then, we've had just a severe lack of home building. Um, from that time to now. And, you know, a lot of people are talking about how, you know, home ownership was dead. Millennials don't want to own homes. They're all going to be renters or live with their parents in the basement. Um, not realizing, like I said, that the average age for a first time home buyer is 33 years old. So the, a lot of those millennials that, you know, went to college, they didn't have, you know, the finances yet to buy a home. They've now graduated and, and they're starting to look for that um for that new home and that's the largest homeowner group right now um in the in america so 
Um, that group is now trying to enter the market, and that is um, that increase has um, kind of revealed why we have such a um, big housing issue is because we didn't build enough houses to prepare for that influx of new buyers into the market. Um, in addition, you have baby boomers that are obviously living longer, um, which is great, but that means their homes aren't available to put on the market. So um, we're starting to see that a little bit where um, some of them are starting to move out and older um, millennials that you know are starting to have families are starting to move into those homes, but not really at the rate that you would have seen you know, 10, 20 years ago. Um, so that's contributed as well. And then obviously low interest rates um, for the longest time, almost basically 0% to buy a home. Um, you know, that that was, you know, that obviously that makes it extremely easy to get in the market. You don't have to put down 20% to get a home. You can, um, you know, pay the, the mortgage insurance or whatever, and it's not that much. So, um, you know, entry into that, into that first time home, um, was pretty easy for those new home buyers. Um, you know, not even counting the out of state buyers, South Carolina has become kind of a destination state, um, for especially people from the Northeast. So, um, not even kind of looking at that, but, um, you know, that has definitely been a contributing factor. I want to go back on a comment you made about yeah. first time homeowners being at the age of 33. When did that change? Because everybody I knew, I mean, after a year or two in college, everybody was buying a house. Yeah. I mean, you just did it. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what we, that was supposed to be your single biggest investment that you make in your life. And, and, you know, I did that. When did that, has it always been that age? Was no, I just no. an exception of the rule? Or? No, um, about, I don't know, three, about three years ago, it was 32 and it was that age for a while. Um, I think back and I, I know, this isn't your time, but back in like the... I'm 53 years old yeah, and no. I know it, so it's okay. <laughs> no, but like back in, I think back in the 70s or 80s for first time home buyers, it was about 28. Um, but yeah, it's steadily increased. Interest rates were like 10%. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm, well, the biggest thing is, like I said, more people are going to college. Um, back then, you know, way back now, I'm not... Um, you know, obviously the husband went to work and the wife stayed at home. So um, now the, the husband stays home yeah, and the wife yeah, goes exactly. to work. Yeah, or or the uh, baby boomer parents move in with the uh, <laughs> the kids and then they go to work and uh, parents pay for them. But no, um, it's just the change in, um, you know, the time to get to, you know, really your first career in order to start making that, that money to, um, to afford that first time home. And then, you know, um, um, Student debt is obviously a big issue too. That's taken that takes a while for um, before um, that new home buyer feels like they have enough to put down on the home. Like I said, the kind of the misnomer is the twenty percent. Obviously, that's great if you can, but if you can, that doesn't preclude you from getting a home. Um, I mean, I feel you know talking about real estate, you can go a whole bunch of different directions, and that brings up the cash buyers too that we're seeing more. And I kind of mentioned that with the institutional buyers. That's the one thing that we've seen with how competitive it is, is that um, these new homeowners that I was talking about that can't put down the 20%, they are losing out to, you know, cash buyers and institutional buyers that can, you know, basically be anything that they can offer uh, to a seller. So, um, but in that market kind of dying out now, or is that, still no, I don't think we're seeing, no, I don't, I don't think so. Um, well, cash buyers, 
yeah, have kind of gone down from where they are. So yeah, definitely institutional buyers that are still um, a big percentage, and it's kind of going up a little more. Um, and and is these that are because people are, don't want to own a home and they want more renters, or no, they just creating opposite, a market themselves. Yeah, well, it's that um, because people can't afford to get the home right now because. We, I mean, we've talked about inflation, mortgage rates going up, though they've kind of stabilized here. Um, the rental market has been out of control and continues to go up. So people are coming in to get the house in order to make money off the rental market, basically. So, um, you know, they see a, an advantage to make money that way. And that's why that continues to grow. Um, I, I think it's, I assume you saw in South Carolina, it's about 18% of the, um, the, the the percentage of the buyers in the market are institutional buyers. Wow, and that's gone up. I think from sixteen last year. Um, so it's yeah, it's definitely a, a growing market. Um, I don't know, that, you know, based on the tax structure, I don't know how they make money of. Yeah, to and be I honest mean, with you, yeah, and the, you know that's not necessarily just in Columbia. That's that's across the state. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're not really seeing that in the city of Columbia as much because you know the six percent. Um, and the, the high rates of taxes here, but I'm um, going back to Greenville and even Charleston. Um, you know, they've built a lot of those duplexes and multiplexes within their city. Um, and that's helped to bring in, you know, for them to grow dramatically um, with the real estate market that we've seen the past couple of years. Um, and that, you know, Columbia has seen some growth, but definitely not anywhere close to that. Ours has been a little more flat. Oh, wow. We've been at um, 2%, 2%, I think, across the board over the decade. So, we talked a little bit about a market. We, you know, we talked a little bit, but I mean, what, what do you, what are your helpful tips for people who are trying to uh, first time home buyers? They're out there, you know, mm -hmm. one, you got to choose, you know, obviously, you know, talk to them about how do I choose the right realtor? How do I determine what, you know, how do I prepare myself for what's out there in the marketplace, which is being very competitive. I've mm -hmm. talked to a lot of people, who all have gotten into bidding wars and are paid paid over with asking prices. Yeah. And you know, is 10 grand, 20 grand over the asking price over a 30 year mortgage really a big deal? Probably not if that's mm -hmm. where you want to live. Yeah. But if you're a short-term buyer, that's probably not a smart move. Mm -hmm. But, you know, what what would you what would your tips be to to folks who are trying to be first home time home buyers? Um so, you know, when looking for a realtor um, you know, I wish I'd have better answer, but really it's, you know, looking online and seeing the reviews, um, is the best way to go. Well, that's how we um, pick restaurants. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, mean? I mean, that's kind of, everybody's kind of judged on the, on their game from the internet. So damn Google. Um, yeah. um, I mean, if you really want to, you can also go on the uh, real estate commission website and see if anybody has a complaint that's been ever filed. Against well, them, based so. on the number you told me about, everybody's yeah, got yeah, a complaint. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not yeah, sure. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, no, but, um, I mean, like I said, you don't need 20% to buy a home. Um, when obviously as inflation's increased and the, um, and the um, Federal Reserve raised interest rates. I think that scared a lot of people off, understandably, because rates went from, you know, like I said, 3% all the way up to like 6%. Um, and that is, uh, I think that scared off a lot of new buyers. 
Um, though people got to understand that, you know, five, six percent, that's still pretty low compared to, you know, um, the history of mortgage rates. Um, which I don't, I, I don't understand because if you look at the foreign market, mm-hmm. let's say I wanted to go live in France, Switzerland, Italy, I can get a mortgage rate at, at a point and a half. And it has been that way for 40 years. Mm-hmm. And, and then I look at our rates. I don't understand that. Yeah. And I know like, you know, rates have been basically zero after, um, 2008 yeah and we hadn't had an inflation problem i think at one point in europe you were getting paid to do a mortgage yeah so um you know i know the only reason they've increased is because um inflation has been kind of out of control and they're trying to get that under control but um i'm, I'm terrible at math and money so I, I can't really answer all that for you but but no but um taylor will not do your taxes no, but not. he will make sure you get to the right realtor <laughs> yeah, exactly um but you know, I mean, even this week we've seen um, mortgage rates have actually gone back down, um, and they're kind of in the mid to upper five percent. Um, so if you're waiting to, if you think rates are going to keep going up or um, are going to crash back down on these sudden, you can't. You, you never know with the market exactly. So um, it's better to take advantage if you have the means um, now than. But to still, wait. Uh, being a homeowner is still a, a smart investment. Yeah, it, it's proven time after time that. Yeah, I, I wish I had the numbers. I mean, NAR always shows the uh, the National Association of Realtors um, always shows the wealth of homeowners compared to renters in the United States, and it, it's dramatic. It's. Um, I'm not going to guess that. I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but it's, you know, like 300,000 or something by, by homeowners and wealth that they've gained from homeownership compared to like 15 or or 20. I don't know. Oh, I think homeownership is probably the single most instrument to get people to, to, to wealth Mm -hmm. and create generational wealth, especially when, you know, one of the focuses that we really want to do is create more home ownership because we got less than 50% home ownership, mm-hmm. but especially in our lower income neighborhoods and part of working on zoning, working with different builders and stuff to come up with smaller models. Look, people don't need big houses anymore. Mm-hmm. They need a house that's functional and affordable. And by creating more density, that's why I like the middle market yeah. model as well. But creating, you know, if we've got, somewhere where somebody has more a thousand square foot house, but they're paying less than they would in rent, even with paying taxes, but it's theirs and it's manageable, Mm -hmm. but they're creating wealth because anything like that within the city limits is only going to go up in value. It's not going to go down in value. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And and so encouraging that we, you know, we at the city are trying to, to create more opportunities with HUD funding and, and closing and examining the way we're doing to improve it. But we also want to support the realtors out there to look at opportunities. We, you know, we're tearing down 68 houses this summer. Mm. We want to make sure those houses are being rebuilt and we're putting families in there, but people have an opportunity for home ownership. So we don't need a 2000 square foot house. We need a thousand square foot house. We need to put a family in there so that when they downsize, the kids graduate, move out, whatever that that mom or that young couple can they can hold on to that house? Exactly. They can afford what goes with it because homeownership's not cheap. Yeah, it, there's always something to do, mm-hmm. something to fix, something to improve. But the value is always there; it's not going away. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and I mean, the, 
you know, when I talk to realtors, especially that work in the city, I mean, they're, I mean, their biggest complaint had been, you know, just kind of the small things when going through the home buying process, you know, having to deal with, um, city of Columbia water, having to call the city and, um, be on the phone and get somebody. I mean, you've kind of changed a lot of that already under your term. So, um, you're not there yet, but we're getting there. Yeah, I know, but making the process, you know, less stressful. I mean, it can be overwhelming going back to the first time home buyer, especially for them having never gone through the process. And that's what your realtor is there for is to help you navigate that. Um, you know, a lot of these, you know, virtual offices, you know, like Zillow, Compass, Open House, um, you know, they have the, they've made, they've changed real estate where, you know, you can go online and kind of search on your own for a bit, but to actually understand the process of, um, you know, foundation issues, um, you know, whatever you want to call it, you know, where do you get your water from, um, where you're zoned, um, you know, all sorts of things, you know, that all comes from your realtor, um, who know, who, you know, probably lives in your market most of the times and, you know, has a vested interest in the market, can walk you through that whole process and um, guide you where you need to go. You know, when we were locked down and people were looking for um, homes and using these kind of iBuyers, you know, it, we saw kind of that go, you know, disappear, go away because people want that face-to-face contact, want to be able to talk to somebody and sit down with somebody to explain that process. So what it, um, so you brought up Zillow mm-hmm. and I can't remember the other ones. I get an email from Zillow all the time. Hey, we found 10 houses you might be interested in. Mm-hmm. What did that do? How did that affect the realtors on the ground in a yeah. local market? Was that a big spike during the pandemic mm-hmm. or before when it came on, or is oh, yeah. it just simply a tool people use to kind of get a gauge of yeah. what something's well, going to be? Well, actually Zillow is a uh, member firm of the uh, realtor association. So, um, but no bad mouthing them. They're no, yeah, good. I can't say nothing bad. And I mean, I don't really have anything bad to say about them. They, they changed the way real estate's done in a dramatic way. And, um, I mean, even before the pandemic, um, just their, their map that they have to show you what's available and, um, you know, what's on and off the market. It is nice to scroll. Yeah. I mean, you know, talking to realtors, a lot of times now when they meet clients, they already will tell you what houses they want to look at the first day. Um, they've got what they want to check out. So, um, that's changed it where, um, as the realtor, you kind of have to be ready and prepared and, and, and know that, um, Buyers want to move fast. I mean, it's still, even now, average day on market is, I think, still under 30 days. It is under 30 days um, um, in South Carolina. So, I mean, this has been a fast process. That's, I mean, five, 10 years ago, it, it was about, I think, three months sometimes was the average on time um, um, day a house was on the market. So we're talking about under 30 days, you know, under a month, basically that this process is being done now. Um, and, 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 you know, a lot of that is due to Zillow and and buyers being able to kind of on their own, figure out what houses shop around on their own before they even talk to the realtor. Um, so, I mean, that's, I keep threatening to sell. Because everybody around my neighborhood's getting these great prices, yeah. but I'm like, where do I go? Well, that's what people I think you know. There's we're talking about go. we're talking about recession because of you know the inflation and all that. Um, a lot of people think it's kind of like 2008, and that it's, this is not at all like that market. Like I, I go back to saying, yeah, millennials that haven't even e- entered the 
33, you know, age of 33 now, the average age for a, a, a new home, and they want homes. And so, I mean, home prices are going to maybe not rise as fast as they did the past three or four years, but are going to continually go up because, I mean, the demand for housing is, is so big. And on top of that, you have baby boomers that are starting to retire. And like we went back from the beginning, they're looking for the same house that the millennials are looking for. And then also going back to what you were talking about, how those are the houses we need. I mean, we have a lot of the single family homes um, for the millennials that have, that are entering, um, that are having, you know, multiple kids. So, I mean, yeah, that, that, that starter home is kind of what we're looking for. That in city home is what really needs to be kind of built. So you threw, you gave a little bit. So if I, if people are selling their house today, Mm -hmm. what advice would you give them how to prepare for that? Because, based on what you just said, the transaction time is pretty damn quick Mm -hmm. from start to finish to Mm -hmm. close. And so that puts a lot of pressure. How do you prepare for that? What's your advice to folks out there who are like, you know, they're teetering. I'm starting to see a lot of older folks that I know in surrounding areas because we walk our dogs everywhere. Their houses are, I mean, they're, they're moving left and right. Mm -hmm. And it's, as soon as it comes on the market, it's not there long. Yeah. How do you prepare for that, though? Because, I mean, that's a major change. Yeah. Well, first thing I would say is, you know, consult your realtor, get a realtor. Um, on top of that, you know, it's, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, the, you know, the issue we've seen is that, um, you know, the, people will sell their homes, but, you know, now they're entering the market and they don't know where they're going. So I would be prepared for that. Cause like you said, it's a quick process. And once you're out of your home, you don't have the home now. So understand that the market is still pretty tight. Um, people have kind of been priced out because mortgage interest rates have gone up. Um, and it's not as competitive as it was, but it's still, you know, it's still a tight market. So, um, you know, I, you got to go in with a plan cause you're, if you put your house on the market and you're not prepared, you don't have a plan for where you're going to go, it's going to be a tough situation. So, you know, just plan out, kind of know what, what your goal is. Um, if you're downsizing, my parents recently downsized, um, to move to downtown Charleston. Um, they lost out on a lot of, a lot of homes just cause they went so fast and they were trying to sell their home at the same time. Um, it's, it, it's, a difficult process. So, um, you know, we, we were kind of talking about it, go online and kind of look up those houses already and kind of be prepared, um, be prepared to possibly lose out. Um, but you know, be prepared to have something ready to go for when you sell. Cause yeah, it's tough. So Taylor, um, you hear a lot from the realtors and, and, and which is a large group in Columbia, which I don't know that we talked about the number. How many yeah, realtors do you have? About 3,500. 3,500 realtors yeah. here in town. What are some of the things you think we can do as a city to improve the process to make it easier for a realtor to help their buyer or seller? Yeah, and we, we kind of talked about a little bit um, just the whole, um, you know, from a government side, um, you know, when they're setting up their water, when they're getting, um, you know, um, inspections done, when they're getting um, appraisal done, um, you know, 
as easy as that process can be um, and as done as expeditiously as it can be the um, is kind of the biggest thing um, having somebody there that a buyer or or the realtor can communicate with um, is, is definitely the biggest thing um, and you mentioned some of the assistance that you have for um, first-time home buyers um, and and I think the city also has something for veterans as well um, and obviously that's a big part of our market but um, I mean, I think that's it's just kind of those things. The regulation is the biggest um, part of it and just not making it too burdensome uh, of a process, really. Um, you know, we, we, we always ask this question to, to our guests, so we're going to ask it to you as well, Taylor. We can't, we can't stop the streak, but okay. if you could pick a business that Columbia, South Carolina doesn't have that we could go recruit and bring here, what would it be, or who would it be? I guess, I guess the university has an Apple Store, right? Or does it? I thought mm, it did. I'm but not sure. I would I'm say, sure. uh, if, really if it does, I would still just say, you know, Apple Store. I hate going down to Charleston. I like I said, my or parents Augusta. live in Charleston. That's yeah. I mean, I guess now you know a lot of you can buy online, but um, sometimes it's good to just walk into the store. Um, that would be probably the number one that I hear not only myself but a lot of people mention. Now, I've been trying to recruit Apple for probably close to a decade. In the last meeting we had, they they told us that, you know, unless we could guarantee them like $58 million in oh, sales. Sure. But, you know, I, I what I don't such think a that... large they, university base. I'm just Well, surprised. think about that. Think about the, the what you just said. So mm -hmm. let's just do some quick math. 60,000 students, average students got two Apple products, probably. Mm -hmm. So let's just, let's just pare it down to 70. You know, 70% of all the students in our community, so, you know, you got almost 40,000 people with that. Then you got a school district. Yep. Right? Mm -hmm. You know, you got state agencies. Yeah. And we hadn't even counted the professors and this and that, and we go on and on and on. I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, I, this always kind of blew my mind. So, you know, my next job is we're going to go find Google, and we're going to turn it into sure. a Google uh, that's city. That's fine. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to keep hammering on Apple, but for me, an Apple store in five points would be the greatest thing in the world yeah. because the, it, it fits. Everything about it, it fits. It kind of changes but, the whole um, ideology of the city, too. It so. doesn't make sense that we don't have one, but yeah. we'll continue to do it. I mean, I think tell us a little bit about some of your favorite things about Columbia. Where, what, what's your favorite place to go eat lunch? Yeah, Um I really like 929. Uh, it's kind of a Korean barbecue kind of place. Um, that's the, um, it's on my up list. There. I yeah. been there oh, you haven't been, I definitely recommend. Um, and Motor Supply is really good um, as well. Those are they're like right next to each other. But yeah, those are probably my top two here in Columbia. And I'm a big Mexican food fan, but um, so going around to different locations there that's oh man they're yeah. set man i i where i could take you in on a culinary trip when it comes to <laughs> to because you know i go to west columbia all the way out on highway one to mm -hmm. eat fajitas because there's one place there that makes the best fajitas in yeah. town but you know if i want a quesadilla i'm going to real mexico mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah this if i want a torta i'm going over here yeah 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 yeah, definitely. I, I I can't go to. There's not one place that 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 takes care of my my culinary needs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, 
I did eat, just eat my way through vacation, which was great. That's awesome. It was so fun. When we talk about Columbia, you know, a lot of people talk about what we want to be, and I think we are Columbia, and we want to be Columbia. We don't want to be Greenville. We don't be Charleston, but there are aspects of those cities that we really would love to have to Mm -hmm. enhance our community, you know, a lot of communities would die to have a river like we have. A lot mm-hmm. of communities would die to have a fort, uh, largest training base on the East Coast here. Um, a lot of people like to have six colleges and universities yep. and seminary mix. But what what do you think is is what are some of the things that really set Columbia apart from these other cities besides? two hours here and two hours. No. Yeah. And that was one good thing about your campaign talking about how we need to stop saying that and telling people to leave Columbia. That's terrible selling point. But, um, I mean, you know, I love sports, but I mean, Columbia has obviously great sports when you kind of compare it to other cities here in the, in the state. Most of the times you got to go to Charlotte. If you kind of want to, we don't talk about the Panthers right now. No, yeah, they ran on us. I'm not a Panthers fan. So, (laughs) but, uh, but, uh, I mean, not only the college, but, you know, Fireflies. I mean, Lexington, you got the Bluefish, obviously. But, I mean, there's a lot of sporting events you can go to and, and experience, and that, that's really fun. Um, you mentioned the river and the water sports and, um, you know, the, the trail um, going through the, the national parks, um, uh, kayaking down the river, tubing down the – or not tubing um, – well, we tube down yeah, the river. Yeah, yeah. Let's don't lie. Yeah, yeah. I have one. They brought me a gift. I got a double with a cooler spot. Uh, yeah, I can't wait to use it. But um, yeah, I mean, recreation like that, um, and you know, that kind of the zoo kind of goes along with that too. But um, you know, I think those are all great aspects of the city that you know I really enjoy taking part in and I'm experiencing. Um, and you know, everything's kind of. I don't know, centrally located really um, here in the city. So it's easy to get to. Um, like I said, I, I kind of grew up in, in the Charleston area and it's hard to kind of travel around um, from like Mount Pleasant to, to downtown Charleston or Charleston, Somerville and things like that. But I feel like the city, we have our traffic problems. I think everybody does, but um, it is easy to get around in the city. Um, so I, I think those were great selling points. Well, folks, we had Taylor Oxendine here from the Central Carolina Realtors Association who, if you don't know who your realtors are, please go to their website. Yep. They can tell you every member, where their standings are, how they do. But, hey, if you're interested in buying a house, spend some time finding the right realtor. Mm-hmm. Let them help you to make guide you through that yeah. process. Make, make sure, sure they are a realtor. Yep. Make yeah. sure they are a realtor. Yeah. There are some, you know, uh, a lot of people think they're saving money. Yeah. By yeah, the big. Uh, I've heard the biggest thing. A lot of people kind of say sometimes is they, you know, they don't know the difference of what a realtor and real estate agent is. It's like, well, everybody does know what a realtor is. You know, the look for the R, the code of ethics, um, the national association. Um, yeah. What you don't know is that not everybody is a realtor. So, um, yeah, I mean, make sure, ask that person for the code of ethics because they'll give it to you right there, the 17 articles that that you can hold them accountable for. So that's definitely something to look for. Well, great advice from Taylor. Thanks for being here. Yeah. We, we, we made it through another episode, no uh, accidents. And guess what, folks? This is the first episode we've recorded 
in this studio with no fire truck coming by and interrupting our, <laughs> our, 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 our episode. So stay tuned. Look forward to our next episode. Taylor, thanks yeah, for being thanks here so with us. Yeah, appreciate it.